0: For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only. But unto all them that love his appearing. Paul was at the end of his life. He was in a prison in Rome. Nero was a Caesar at that time, and he was having a great time killing Christians. He loved doing it, and you know a lot of the people in Rome loved gathering at the Colosseum to watch the various ways that he had of annihilating Christians. I just want to refer a little bit to his history because I think you do remember he went back to Jerusalem and on his his reason for coming back to Jerusalem is that he had been collecting a large offering through the churches in Asia because things were not good for the Christians in Jerusalem and uh, and uh, a lot of the churches were sympathetic and Paul encouraged them to give second Corinthians chapter 5, I think. No, no, it's not chapter 5. But 2 Corinthians was written to encourage people, firstly, to be giving. And apparently the Corinthian church had not been, and he, was, he has to admonish them. But he came to Jerusalem, and some things went wrong there. And he was put in prison. And he was examined by Agrippa. He was examined by others down there, and they found no fault in him, but because because he was a Roman citizen, and a Roman citizen had rights. And one of the rights that a Roman citizen had was to appeal his case to Caesar, which he did. And you know about the story, the shipwrecks and everything else. That happened, the storms, uh, the things that took place on the way to Rome, but he's there, and uh, Nero is having the sword sharpened. Because you might also remember, it was not legal. To crucify a Roman citizen. And since he was a Roman citizen, he could not be crucified. So they cut his head off instead. This is, this is the setting. And he is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. And she says, I am now ready to be offered. The time has come. You know, I've noticed something over a period of time, and uh, it's not foreign to me as well. Every single one of us who are Christians have the blessed hope. We are all looking forward to the return of our Lord. We're looking forward to what Jesus said, my father's house and many mansions, A place prepared? A place that he was going to prepare for us? And we believe that, don't we? I mean, this is part of a Christian's faith and part of a Christian's hope. But you know what? We don't want to die. When the time comes... I believe God prepares his children for death. I went through Marilyn's last weeks, and she made the conscious decision not to go through further treatments and therapies. And the obvious end of her decision would be that she would die, but she said, Ray, I've been through enough I'm ready to go home and she was but I can't say that I was I can't say that I was ready to see her leave it's coming up on three years at least two and a half years now you know I still miss her and I still miss her dreadfully but here is Paul He's in prison still. He's writing this letter to Timothy, and this is is the end of his letter, this fourth chapter. The beginning of the chapter, he's exhorting Timothy, telling him to be faithful. He's telling him to preach. He's telling them that there's going to be times coming when people are not going to be either willing to hear or ready to accept the gospel. He was telling them that strange things are going to take place and people are going to believe unbelievable things, ungodly things. And his final admonition is to watch thou in all things, verse 5 Endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And then he says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. It's from this point on that my message will begin. There's a number of things I see in this. Number one, there is a conflict. Every single born-again, blood-washed child of God has to recognize a conflict exists. It, it, It exists in society. It always has. But you know, strange things are happening in America today. Things that I would not believe would have happened even looking back into the 30s and 40s and 50s, I never thought that we would be seeing in the United States of America things that we are seeing today. But that's part of the world. And that's part of the world system. And you know what? That's what, that's what the devil is trying to accomplish. All of these things. And so... There are many ways in which the Christian's life is described. But one of them is a fight. In Ephesians, he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of wickedness in high places. And the assurance for us to know that while there is a battle on, a battle raging, it's not necessarily on the level which we would think. It's not against flesh and blood. Although the devil uses flesh and blood. The devil uses the ungodly. He uses the world system of governments. He uses friends who are neighbors and people with whom you work. But you know what? He even uses the church of Jesus Christ. I've said many times, and I've probably said it here, but I like to say it because it bears repetition. But Satan is more faithful in church services than many Christians are. He goes up and down through the pews of the church and he calls your attention to many things that you probably wouldn't see otherwise. Years ago, people dressed up more to go to church than they do today. I can remember Marilyn when she got, got dressed and she, had, she liked these picture hats, you know, and gloves and a matching purse. And that, of course, with Marilyn, everything had to match anyway. But you know what? Very often people will go to church and they would look and see what sister so-and-so was wearing and what this one is wearing. And quite often criticize what they were wearing because they were trying to show off. Don't you think Satan is behind that? We men don't do that so much, but I'll I'll tell you this, men. I would never go to church without a jacket and a tie. Many restaurants would not let you in if you didn't have a jacket and a tie. And they had a sign outside that said proper attire required. I got a an invitation to a wedding uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. And on the bottom of the invitation, it says formal attire required. I said, wow, that's a big one. So needless to say, I contacted the bride because I thought it strange. I mean, I, if, I had to, if I had to rent a tux, I would. But that's not what she meant. She just meant that men should wear suits. Form, formal. How about that? Things have changed. But what I'm saying is that Satan takes advantage of everything. And he, I mean, that's, that's only minor stuff. You know, he gets into your behavior and everything else. There's a conflict. It's ongoing. Paul says in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. Paul is meaning that there is a fight for the word of God. Is that true today? The battle over Bible translations and versions and all kinds of things. But he tells us in verse number two, he, t- he tells Timothy, preach the word. I don't know whether I'm short or long. I didn't look at the time when I started, and I probably won't look at the time when I finish. I'll guarantee you, though, I won't be like Paul and be thankful that there's no upper lofts. Because you remember there was this guy who was sitting in the third loft and and Paul was preaching a long time after midnight. And he fell asleep and he fell out and he died. At least there were apostolic gifts and Paul could lay hands on him and restore him to life. But, you know, I don't have that gift. So please don't fall asleep. You don't have that far to fall if you do. I just took a flop over there before the meeting, but, uh, okay, don't do that. But he says to preach the word. Mention several things to be instant in season. That means ready. That means be ready to preach. Now, th- that doesn't mean necessarily you have to be in the pulpit to preach. You know, the church has one Pastor. And there are assistants and, and other people and deacons and officers in the church. But you know, when you witness to your neighbor, when you talk to some unsaved person in your family, it's not preaching the same way. I mean, gee, I I hope uh, you women who have unsaved husbands, I don't hope you don't pound on, you know. But, I mean, there has to be a way. Peter told us there's a way. But that means you don't get out of it, though, and preach the word. And then it says also that... Not only are we to preach the word, he said we are supposed to be watchful. So the fight is to watch. Why? Because we're human. Because of human frailties. Confession. I fell asleep in church Sunday during the sermon. I had, my, I had one of my nieces with me. And after I, I woke up, I don't know how, how long I was out. Afterwards, she says, you have a good nap. Not supposed to do that, though, are we? We're, not, but we're, supposed, we're supposed to watch. Can I take you to the Garden of Gethsemane? The Lord Jesus brought his disciples there and he told them to pray, and then he brought Peter and James and John a little further and told them to watch and pray. while well, he went a little more, and he cried out to God, and you know the anguish that took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is saying, if it were possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came back, and I woke him up. He said, couldn't you watch with me one hour? And then he went back and he prayed some more, and they were asleep again. Watch. We have to be careful. We're not supposed to slumber. I can give you a number of verses in Proverbs about slumbering and sleeping, but I won't do that. And then, so the fight is for the word of God to stand for it and preach it and defend it, but the fight is, is to watch. And one of the things he says is that in the watching, possibly enduring afflictions, verse 5, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry." And then, of course, there is a fight for the world. Why? Because God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I always like to add verse 17 to it because so many people say God wants to send people to hell. But verse 7, 17 says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God loves. And Peter tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance we have a function we know we we know as we study eschatology and prophecy and we know what's ahead we know it's going to take place but you know what that is not to be our concern today our concern today is to be faithful our concern today is to do the work of an evangelist this is not part of the Great Commission So he said, do the work of the evangelist. And he says, make full proof of thy ministry. Uh, Timothy was a pastor. And these courses are taught in a subject in Bible school and seminary that's called pastoral theology. But I want to remind you, In the book of Revelation, in the letters to the churches, there is something, there is a sin that's mentioned. It's mentioned in the letter to the church of the Ephesus. It talks about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And that early church was able to recognize that it was wrong. And they did not heed to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. But I believe it's when they got to the church of Thyatira that they were guilty of being involved in the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You know what it was? It was making the distinction between laity and clergy as the Roman Catholic Church came into existence. As the church progressed, it seemed like more and more people became clergy. And the clergy then started to have a role of supremacy. And If you're familiar with Catholicism, you have to know that that's true even today. There's a difference between those who are clergy. They might be guilty of some of the same things as people who are laity is concerned. And they're having a lot of problems with this now. And the Pope is having to apologize for some things. But you know, that is not the Lord's idea of the church. We do have pastors, and it's one of the gifts to the church, pastors and teachers. Teachers. But that doesn't absolve the rest. That doesn't involve everybody who comes to sit in the pew. You know, we, we have a function. Make full proof of thy ministry, he says. And, you know, one day we're going to stand before him. One day we're going to give an account. Okay, go on. Uh, there's a great, not only a great, uh, a great struggle, a great fight, a, There's a great faith. He says, I have kept the faith. The faith. I got three things. The faith achieves, the faith assures, and the faith abides. Faith achieves. You know what? Without faith, we can't do nothing. Without faith, we can't please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. John chapter 15, the Lord talks about, the, it gives the analogy of the vine and the branches. It's as we abide in him, as we recognize our place in him, that we can be successful. We can do the, the work of God, can be accomplished. Because it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's by his mercy. It's by his mercy he saved us, by washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. But it's through faith that things are accomplished. There was a, a little motto that I think I was taught as a youngster. Something like this, I, I, I had it here, and I was trying to get it here, and it was not working. But more things are achieved by faith than this world can imagine. Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can cast mountains into the sea. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea. It's through faith that we're able to accomplish and do the work of God that he has for us. But it's also faith that assures. You know why? Because Satan is constantly wanting us to question our faith. Is it really as simple as all that? You mean, you mean all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? All you have to do is trust in Him and God saves you and justifies you? And then look, look at the things that you do, look at the things that you say. And very often, not only satanic, but our own flesh causes us to question. But you know what Peter told us? Make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you are a child of God. Make sure you're in the kingdom of God. All you have to do is Go down the plan of salvation. Did you acknowledge that you're a sinner? Did you, come, did you come to God as a sinner and ask for his forgiveness and plead the blood of Christ? Recognizing that he died for you in your place. And isn't that what Jesus said? He that hears my words. Believes on him that sent me, has everlasting life, and will not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. Faith assures us of our eternal position in the hand of God the Father. Also, it's a faith that abides. It's always. It's always there. It's not going to change. Why? Because one of the attributes of God is immutability. It means as he's, the, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Just because I heard something when I was seven years old doesn't mean that has changed, maybe some 77 years later or something of that sort. No, because God is the same. His promises are the same. His word has not changed. So we live by faith, we labor by faith, and you know what? We look forward by faith. There's a good fight. There's a great faith. There's a glorious finish. He says in verse 8, I had, the first seven, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know, sometimes we're tempted to despair, to murmur and complain. We're tempted in one way and another. But you know, we're brought back. We're brought back by the word of God. And there are people that put their hands to the plow and they've turned back. I think maybe you know some. There are, there are pastors who God has called to the ministry and then somehow or other, uh, they've felt another calling. Now, I'm not one to question. Uh, I'm not one to sit in judgment on what other pastors do and what other Christians do in this regard but somehow or other I get the idea we're not supposed to quit the the direction might change sometimes the battle can change could be a different battlefield in a different area at a different time But Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. He didn't faint. He concluded it. He was waiting for Nero to finish sharpening his sword. He hadn't failed because he finished the course. And he hadn't a change of heart or mind he finished the course I have fought a good fight I have kept the faith I have finished my course so then we have a crown a crown of righteousness verse 8 It says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them that love is appearing. He says, the crown of righteousness. I have a message on crowns. There are five of them. And you can list them through the scriptures. And I'm I'm not going to do that now. I'd like to. And I wish if I had my notes on it, I probably would. But the righteousness is the righteousness of God by faith. Look, in Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 9. I'm going to read from verse 7. He says, But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We'll never have the adec- adequate righteousness, but the crown is a crown of righteousness. There's a verse, it's in 1 John. And it's in chapter three. Verse two says, "Beloved, now are we the sons of God? It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. One day. One day we will be like him. Romans 8 and verse 28 and 29 talks about the process. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See what's happening? All of the things that are taking place, all of the struggles, all of the uncertainties, all of the things you don't know why. And we quote, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And we say that, and sometimes it's almost like a ritual type of a thing. But then you say, "Nothing is happening for good. What's good? What's good about this or what's good, you know? But you know what it's doing? It is for good. It's to conform us to the image of Christ. It's to make us Christ-like. Can we go back to the beginning? God said, "Let us make man." In our image and after our likeness. That was then, right? This is now. Something happened to that image and that likeness. And it's not that God didn't do a good job. But Satan entered into the picture and... Man was made with a free will. Man was made to be able to discern and to recognize the difference between good and evil. And he had the opportunity to make a choice between good and evil. And Romans chapter 7 tells us about the struggle that goes on in our lives on a regular basis. He finds a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And the good that I would, I do not. And the evil that I would, not that I do. It's a constant thing. It's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's because when we came to him by simple faith, we were regenerated. And God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in these sinful bodies of ours. And he works something through our stubborn wills and through our strong flesh that does not want God to rule. Because it says the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And so that we cannot do that which we would. And he's working out his eternal plan and purposes. And Paul is saying, I fought a good fight. I've finished a course, I've kept the faith, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. You know, the thing about preaching the Bible is we never preach anything new. I like the song. I love to tell the story. And one of the verses, part of the verse, says, and when in scenes of glory we sing the new new song, twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. We all, there's not, nothing new. But sometimes we have to keep proclaiming it We have to keep teaching it. We have to keep hearing it. And we have to keep applying it. Chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try in every man's work of what sort it is. and if any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. There is a time. there is a time future. It will take place after the rapture. And every single child of God from the time that Jesus Christ walked the earth and led people to himself and through to the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 souls got saved in one day, and continued on through the last 2,000 or so years of a Christian age, gonna stand before the judgment seat. Our work will be evaluated. And you will notice that it will be evaluated not by how much it is, but by what sort it is. And the way it's going to be evaluated is fire. Because work that is not acceptable is being described as wood, hay, and stubble. And work that God accepts is gold, silver, and precious stones. And it's at that time that we will receive rewards. The crown of righteousness is for those who love his appearing. Who recognize he's coming again. Two thousand years have gone. Many people are growing weary in the watching. But you know what? Keep looking up. He is coming. The Bible closes with these words, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Peter tells us that in the last days, there'll be scoffers. There'll be people who question the coming of the Lord. They're going to question a lot of the processes that took place from creation and the flood. And all of these things are mentioned in Peter's uh, second epistle. Peter says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness and he says God does not look at time the way you and I look at time God is timeless and so Peter says with the Lord one day is as a thousand years duration and a thousand years It's like one day. But God is not willing that any should perish. That all should come to repentance. So the crown of righteousness, the reward. And then Romans chapter 8. We've talked about it already, but let's go. Romans chapter 8. Verse 7 and I like to read a few verses so I'll read from verse 14 for as many as are led by the spirit of God they are the sons of God for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba Father the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The blessed hope By faith, we came to trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And through our lives, we've lived our lives looking at that cross. It helps us to participate and remember the Lord's table because that's when we show forth His death until He comes. But it's His death, His burial, and His resurrection. That's a personal thing. It's not generic. You know, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Well, he did. But the important thing is did he die for you? And do you recognize it as a personal thing? You know why? God does not have grandchildren. We're not saved because our parents were saved. We're not saved because we live in a Christian nation. We're not saved because we attend services in a Christian church. We're saved by grace through faith that we acknowledge that we've sinned. God have mercy on me, the sinner. And when we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of that, look at the end of the chapter, and I conclude. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, and in case he didn't cover the entire spectrum, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, The time of my departure is at hand, I'm ready to be offered. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I shouldn't have put it away. <laughs> this is what happens when you get old. So the only thing I will say to you is don't get old. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. Do you have that confidence? Is that your hope? Praise God. Praise God, because it's not based on us. It's based on the one who said he would keep us and would present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. But on the chance that there's someone here tonight that's not sure of this, that's their salvation, I think I would like to encourage you to be sure. After the, after the service, if you have any questions about your eternal destiny, if you have any questions about these things whatsoever, I know there are men in the church here who can talk to you. If you're a lady, there are ladies who will talk to you, but I'll make myself available at the end of the service. And if you want to make sure that you're in the family of God, I'm available. Father, We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your watch care over us. We're thankful for the promises of God, which are yea and amen. They're forever settled in heaven. And very simply, we can depend upon the God who cannot lie. In Jesus' name, amen.